Well, have you heard the big news? They found the body of Jesus. They did. That's right. Easter is hereby canceled. You can now leave. I once said that in a sermon. A little boy turned to his father, Dad, can we go now? The preacher said we could. <laughs> but, but it's right. James Cameron, a few years ago, came up with a documentary uh, called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. Seems that they have discovered his body. It's in a, a box called an ossuary in southern Jerusalem. And there he is, laid in the ground right beside Mary and Joseph and his brothers and his sisters and Mary Magdalene and their child that they had together. Isn't that so cute? Now, I guess the good news in all this is though Jesus is dead, we now have God's DNA. And sooner or later, we'll be able to clone God, and he'll be able to walk around as a wandering Aramaic sage like he did so many years ago and say the little pithy, cute sayings that we'll put on coffee cups and T-shirts and bumper stickers. So, Altar Guild, please, if you would, take these lilies away and take down these beautiful hangings. And, and if you would, ushers, please usher these good folks out the door. And, and Fleming, please lock up on the way out, because I'm going to go and hide some Easter eggs for the beautiful little kids here today, and Father John said he would dress up as an Easter bunny today. <laughs> so happy Easter, St. Paul's. Of course, I'm kidding you. I'm pulling your leg. But the documentary was real, and it seems like rumors like this and messages like that keep rearing their ugly heads about this time every year, every Easter. In an interview with James Cameron, the writer of the documentary, he said, I'm not trying to destroy anyone's faith now. In fact, this discovery should make faith more believable because now we know where Jesus is buried. So I ask you, is Jesus dead and in the grave? No, no. Would it matter to you if we really did find the bones of Jesus in a box somewhere? Would it alter your faith in God in any way? I hope it would. The rock group Kansas once captured what life would look like without Easter, helpless and hopeless. In the song they wrote, all your money won another minute by, dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. And so we began these 40 days of Lent that are now over with similar words, You came to the altar and received the smudge of the cross on your forehead, and we said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Are we all dust? Was Jesus dust? If he went down to the dust and is still in the grave, then yeah, we all are. If he's not alive today, then turn out the lights, the party's over, go home. But ah, that's not the end of our story, is it? That's not what Easter's about. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he turned to Martha when he said that. And he said, do you believe this? Now I turn to you today. And I say to you, do you believe this? Even though we die, yet shall we live. That's where Easter faith begins. When you answer that question, do I believe that? Have you staked your life upon the claim of Jesus that he is raised now and still lives? Do, does that give you resurrection hope to get up in the morning and, and to have a joy and a, a sense of purpose in your life? Does it affect the way that you raise your children and run your business and 
and do your affairs on a day-to-day basis? Does Easter joy affect the way you look at your impending death and the death of those loved ones around you? Well, let's be honest. No one will ever cheat death unless those words are true. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The truth of Easter matters. It matters. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that one question, do you believe in this, is of first importance. Easter's the most important thing you can ever grasp. It was a game changer. Look at what Luke described this morning. He describes some women coming to a tomb. They were downtrodden. They were depressed. They were totally dejected. They were ready to anoint a dead man for death forever. But in the midst of it all, something changed. Something caused them to go on wanting to live. Something caused them to to want to go on believing that the movement's not over. Luke explains it like this. He said the women were terrified and their faces were bowed down to the ground. And, And then an angel spoke to them from God and says, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Didn't he tell you so many times that the Son of Man must suffer and die at the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? And when they heard those words and saw the empty tomb, something clicked. And Luke says they remembered what Jesus had told them. And what happened next was a a new sense of joy and hope was rising up in their souls. And they ran to tell the other disciples what they had seen, what they had experienced. Those women went to that tomb, afraid, faces bowed down to the ground. They left that tomb running with a message of Easter hope and joy. And when those other disciples heard it from those women, initially they didn't want to believe it. It was too good to be true. But then they started running. And Peter, it says, ran with another disciple, and they rushed and raced one another to the tomb to see what the women had experienced. So if you're here today on Easter, I want you to realize three things. Easter, those women expected to see death, and what they saw was evidence for life beyond the grave. Those women expected to see the end of the Jesus story, and what they found was a glorious new beginning of our story. What they expected were dashed hopes and broken dreams. And what they got was a new reason to live. And those three things are available to you today as well. These three things. Consider what a difference Easter made in their lives. Now, um, N.T. Wright, Anglican bishop, wonderful theologian, bright scholar, said that around the time of Jesus, there were multitudes of would-be messiahs. Okay, so what would happen is this would-be Messiah would rise up, he would get together a band of disciples, he would disseminate his teachings to the disciples until the band got too large, and Rome took notice of it, and then Rome would come in and kill the Messiah, cut the head off the snake, and the end of the story would happen. Except for one Messiah, except for one named Jesus, and they killed him. But something happened that caused his disciples to believe that the movement was not over. Their CEO of the kingdom of God was still in charge, was still directing operations in the world. They believed that because he lives. He lives. I'm sure you've seen it in political campaigns. I mean, this new politician comes and there's an initial groundswell of support and then they lose. And what do you do? 
throw your t-shirt in the garbage can, you rip the bumper sticker off your car, and you throw it away, and one of two things happens. Either you lose faith in the cause altogether, or you find another Messiah. You know, neither one of them happened for these apostles, these disciples. The hope didn't die within them. In fact, the hope and the cause rose up and it burned within them with a new sense of desire and hope to tell others about the one who lives. Their Messiah lives. Easter was a deal changer. It was a world changer. Wimps like Peter, who denied Jesus three times before the cock crowed in the morning, Suddenly, he's given a new sense of courage and boldness to preach the gospel, to keep the cause alive. He even got crucified for the sake of the gospel because he lives, because he lives. Consider how their worship changed. Now, in that day and age, you would never worship another man if you were a good Jew. But suddenly, they started worshiping Jesus. You certainly wouldn't worship a man who died on a cross. Deuteronomy expressly says that one who dies on the cross is cursed from God. It's a cursed man. But this man died on the cross and is not cursed. They started to worship him as God in the flesh, worthy of worship, an object of their praise. Easter was a deal changer. They began to write hymns about Jesus. They began to pray to Jesus in heaven. They began to eat the sacrament of Christ's body and blood every Sunday to remember Jesus. My friends, they saw something. They saw something. They saw the truth of Easter that brought new life and new courage to their hearts. But it gets even better. Jesus' own family begins to worship him. How odd is that? His brothers, James and Jude, they became preachers of that same Easter hope. Mary was in the upper room when the Pentecost day happened, when the Holy Spirit came. She was worshiping her son. My goodness, think about it. What can account for such a thing other than the fact that they saw something in the truth of Easter that was undeniable, that shook their souls, that caused their hearts to skip a beat, that gave their feet a new sense of of joy to run and share it with others? You see, I don't believe that the impact of Jesus would still be a memory in anybody's memory bank today if it hadn't been for Easter It was a world changer. It was a life changer. Paul once said this about it. He says, if we preach Christ is raised from the dead and he is not, then we're a bunch of liars. We're found to be misrepresenting God. And if he's not been raised, then we'll not be raised. And we're still in our sins. Just dust in the wind. And Paul goes on to say, if all that's true, then we are of all men most to be pitied. You see, even Good Friday is rendered meaningless unless it is vindicated by Easter Sunday. That man who hung on that tree and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is impotent to forgive us of our sins if he is dead in the grave, but he lives. And because of that, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, living in heaven with God, interceding for our sins with his blood. Paul continues his Easter sermon. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain, and our faith is in vain, and you're still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying that Easter 
conquered sin and death, our two greatest foes, and that sin and death don't have to have power over your lives anymore. Easter has vindicated us, a life changer. And when your life is said and done, you don't have to be just dust and ashes because our enemy is dead and Jesus lives. The grave cannot hold us and Satan cannot have us because Jesus lives. Kings will die and nations will fall, but King Jesus lives. The world can condemn you and insult you, but that won't change your status before the Most High God. You're a child of resurrection joy because Jesus lives. You see, there's a huge difference today, and I want to caution you, between just coming to a nice Easter service and seeing these, these nice flowers and coming to hear some nice music. There's a difference between all of that and receiving Easter joy in your heart, in your soul, and allowing it to, to transform and grip your life in such a way that it changes you, just like it did those women at the tomb, just like it did Peter, just like it did the early church. So I want to leave you with a, a poem, a wonderful poem by John Updike. It explains that mystery better than I ever could. He says, make no mistake about it. If he rose at all, it was in his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, then the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent, it was not as even the spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of eleven apostles. It was as his flesh. So let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping the transcendence of Easter, making an event into a parable. Instead, let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back. Will you walk through the door with me today? If you're a, a searcher, a seeker, will you walk through the door with me today? He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and, and you don't have to die at the end of days. Do you believe this, he asked Martha. Are you living without hope today? Maybe you're struggling to understand the person of Jesus. Maybe you, you don't trust him as your divine Savior. Maybe you're still wrestling with the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. I ask you to take it to God in prayer today. Walk through the door of the grave. A friend of mine who was once an agnostic become preacher, become dean of Birmingham Cathedral, once described his Easter experience in these words. I don't know where you are with the empty tomb. I don't mind telling you, though, that I was a 34-year-old agnostic in New York City one winter day when I first fell to my knees before the cross of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I asked God to tell me the truth about Easter. I would not be standing in this building at this moment and I certainly would not be in this pulpit if I did not believe that God answered my prayer. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The stone has rolled back. Go in and see. Hallelujah, he's risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Won't you pray with me? Almighty God, creator of all things, judge of all men, we humble ourselves today. We ask you to wash away our doubts and our fears to lift up our bowed heads and give new life to our steps through resurrection hope. Oh, Father, many of us come today seeking. We're seeking honestly to find Jesus a Savior, a reason for living. Give us grace to rest on your Scripture's promise that everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open.
So open to us the door of the tomb. Roll back the stone. May we see the glory of the risen Christ. And when it's our day to pass from this life, may we have confidence filled with Easter faith, without fear and without reproach. And all this we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.